Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. G'day and welcome to this episode of Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Coming up, Mike Rudling. Not giving up is only really important when something when it really sucks, right? Mm. When if you give up when it's easy, it doesn't really count. Yeah. So I've often just tried to uh, you just carry on. Like if yeah. you find yourself in a really difficult situation, you don't want to stay there. You just mm. keep moving forwards. Mike Rudling is the founder and CEO of Radix Nutrition, who are the sponsors of this podcast. And just so we are clear, the room is free of elephants. The team at Radix Nutrition asked if I would consider having Mike on as a guest, and I didn't hesitate to say yes. But there was certainly no arm twisting or contractual obligations to fulfil by having Mike on as a guest. I just thought from my dealings with him and his company, he's a fascinating guy with a fascinating story, and it's something you guys would be interested in hearing. Over the next hour, we discuss the origins of this company, which he started in the Bay of Islands 10 years ago when he was 23. We dive into Mike's childhood in England and his experiences with dyslexia and boarding school. We also explore his transition from competitive swimming to cyclist and the mental health challenges Mike faced after being forced to give up on his dream of professional sports. This is an episode full of insightful conversations and personal reflections with one of the most intensely focused guests I've ever had. Mike Rudling is a man with a mission to make you and I healthier through what we eat. I honestly would not be surprised if 5, 7, 10 years from now, Radix Nutrition is a household name in New Zealand and many other countries. So it's an honour to introduce you to the very big brains behind it while they are still in a self-described startup phase. Let's get into it. Mike Rudling on Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Hey, Runners Only, yeah, yeah, let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Just want to connect for everyone who loves running. This is Runners Only, yeah, yeah let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Just want to connect for everyone who loves running. Hey, Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Runners Only with Dom Harvey and Mike Rudling, Radix Nutrition founder and CEO. G'day, mate. G'day. First of all, thank you very much for having uh, me in your fantastic warehouse today. This thing is massive. Yeah, oh, it's a pleasure to have the opportunity to host you here. There's so much to um, cover off with you. First of all, thank you for sponsoring the podcast. You're welcome. That is, that is part of the reason we're here today, keeping the sponsors happy. What does Radix mean? You, you, you start this company 10 years ago, you call it Radix Nutrition. Why Radix? We spent a while, I'd never picked a name for a company before. You have so many options and we wanted to find something that actually meant uh, or had true meaning for the company. So it probably took us a couple of weeks, everyone thought it was terrible uh, at first. But Radix is the Latin word for the root of a complicated system. And so it has meanings in maths and biology. And we used it to represent uh, how we view nutrition and health as just taking it back to its fundamental building blocks and piecing them all back together as best as we can. You and me are very different. If I was sitting <laughs> at my own company and you were like 23 at the time, 23, 24? Yeah, 23. I, I would have definitely called it Dom Harvey Nutrition. 
yeah, that that one came up, but it, <laughs> you, you you can't because it has to be a fantastic team effort. Mm. And um, no, that was never going to be an option. Um, one thing um, that I've learned from my association with Radix Nutrition over the last couple of months is just how focused you are on being the leader and, and the front runner. And I suppose, in a way, that ex- extends into things like um, being innovative with your marketing, like sponsoring a podcast. Podcast is a growing sort of media form, um, but you guys approached me about sponsorship, which I was I thought that's that's really innovative. Why why did you decide to sponsor the podcast? By the way. Do you know how long that decision took us? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I've spent a bit of time shadowing you today. I can't imagine it was a quick one. I feel like I, it was a fairly meticulous decision. I reckon that was under five minutes. Oh, really? Yeah. We, um, Did you rush into a decision? No, it was a no-brainer. <laughs> it was a no-brainer. Yeah, we, uh, I didn't spot the opportunity. Some of my colleagues did. And um, you guys were fantastic and have been ever since. And we, it was a no-brainer. So I think for us, uh, we, want, we have a story to tell. And, you know, you've kindly given us a chance to help shape that and then get it out to our customers and, and help our story grow. So, no, it was a no-brainer. I think it was uh, minutes, if not seconds. Oh, amazing. Well, I appreciate being uh, part of the Radix team. And um, a- another thing that I, I don't know if this is worthy of a mention or not, but I feel like it, it might be. Something I was very excited about a few weeks before uh, this interview we're doing today is I secured an interview with Zane Robertson, yeah. uh, New Zealand uh, record holder with certain running events, tested positive for a um, performance-enhancing drug, EPO, and uh, got a seven-year ban. And I, I got an exclusive interview, and I called your CEO, and I said, I said, great news, I've got the New Zealand exclusive with Zane. And being from a commercial radio background where publicity is everything – yeah, I was really surprised. You guys, um, you guys said, "Oh, if you don't mind, we want to sit this one out. We don't want to be." I, we were having a really busy day, and um, I didn't feel I, I wanted to say yes. I, I, I probably don't have the view on drugs and sport that many people uh, would would think that I do. But um, a lot of athletes, it's a really uh, tough industry, and it comes at a very young time in people's in in lives and in their career. And uh, you need to be pretty forgiving with young athletes and the decisions they make because a lot of times they're just kids. But I thought that was a yes, and then I thought I was too tired and uh, too fast to make a good decision, so we sidestepped it. But I, I don't know. I haven't watched it yet, but I, I hope he's okay. Yeah, it's a hard watch, but I'm in regular contact with him, and uh, I mean, day by day, he seems to be getting better. And uh, even though at the time of the interview it felt like his uh, whole life was ending, I think he realises now that there's a life beyond sport. Yeah, it's a um, tough corner for athletes yeah. to turn. All right, so let's go. Let's go all the way back. So, are, are you a New Zealander? You're an, you're an Englishman. You're from a place called the Isle of Wight, which is a, a smallish island off the south off coast, the, off the mainland of yeah. England. Yeah. So, um, you, you're born in New Zealand? No, no. Um, I was born on the Isle of Wight. I'm from the UK. My father actually was born in London, but when he was um, eight or nine moved to Auckland and he was there until his mid-twenties. Yeah, that's and, why I thought yeah. thought perhaps you were born here because, um, yeah, your, your, your dad uh, was a... Basically came, a Kiwi. Came here at yeah. the age of 11, became the youngest cop ever in New Zealand, yeah. became a cop at the age of 16. Yeah. Can you imagine being pulled over or arrested by a 16-year-old? Yeah, well, if you've, <laughs> if you've met Paul, maybe you could, but... No, he's very proud of that, but um, he was... Uh, we, we spent, you know, all of my lifetime, obviously, in the UK... And he wanted to move back to New Zealand for a long time. I was cycling in uh, San Diego at the time, and my cycling career came to an end. And uh, I, I moved back home, and home at that time was uh, Russell 
in in the in Northland. Could think of worse places to come. It's been amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I I spent when I was uh, a kid. My grandparents lived in Howick in Auckland, and uh, really fond memories coming over and visiting them maybe once once every year or so. But New Zealand's a special country. Yeah. Let's um, talk about your dad for a little bit. So, a uh, cop in the New Zealand Police Force at the age of 16. Yeah. Uh, then, um, by the time he's 21, he taps out of that and becomes a competitive sailor. Yeah, he's always loved sailing. So, um, what, sort of, what sort of boats are we talking? A boat called a Finn, which was the men's Olympic single-handed dinghy. Yeah, he finished his time in the police and uh, he had a sail-making business um, to help support uh, he and a few of his friends, uh, you know, beginning careers in sailing. I think that business kind of took off a bit and he got split between the business and his sailing career and I think he made it to Olympic Reserve but he had other commitments with a young family and his business over there but yeah, he, he loved, uh, he's always loved sailing. So he was in, in Auckland in Howick Sailing and then um, if you wanted to compete on the world stage that was in Europe so he moved over to England to uh, continue his sailing career and that would have been in the 70s i guess and he managed a couple of sail lofts and I, I should know more in dinghy racing and then he was kind of one of the founders of or pioneers i guess you could say of using composite materials in the sailing industry so carbon fiber kevlar you wow. know, when he got into it boats were made out of wood yeah right he saw that boats uh pretty old-fashioned and could learn a lot from the aircraft industry so um which no one listened to at the time boats were made in traditional ways <laughs> and um most of the america's cup technology the materials uh, the engineering uh, the science behind it would have started with his first major company sb systems in the 90s and early 2000s in the uk and they made everything from um, I think they made the, the first uh, carbon fibre monocoque chassis for Formula One with McLaren. Oh. They've uh, sailing. So he, he had a 20-odd year career in composite materials. And, um, yeah, big inspiration. He's done some cool stuff. I don't know if this is something... Um, you seem like a guy that's always constantly looking forward rather than spending much time sitting down reflecting on what's happened. Yeah, I'm but, not good at that. Yeah. But it's, it's funny to see... Like, the. If you compare the trajectory of your dad's life and yours, it's very similar, like a competitive sport, then tapping out to focus on business at a relatively young age. Yeah. Yeah, I get, mm. I, I'm, I'm kind of funny that you see those things as you go. I'd, I'd, I'd like to learn from a few things here and there, but it does look like we're going down a similar path. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, how do you mean learn, learn here and there? Like, like just what... what uh, like, I, you're, you're a dad now, like raise your son differently to how you were raised. Is that what you mean? Or I, I've grown up around quite a lot of pressure and i guess i I keep being in those situations and it would um be probably a skill i don't have to avoid that there's a hunter thompson quote i always like which is not related to to, or meant in this but if you buy the ticket and take the ride you know (laughs) if you try something difficult it's uh yeah it can be can be pretty hard at times well but but like the impression i get from my dealings with you is you're a perfectionist but do you think that's something that's in your in your DNA or something that's been like, like drummed into you from your parents? Uh, no, I'm good at building stuff. So if, if something's important, it needs to be done well. Mm. Um, oh, any, any, I feel like but anything you do, I feel like you're going to do... Well, I'm crap at a lot of things, I think. But <laughs> I'm good at some things, but um, I, I get called a perfectionist. But if something's important, do it well. If yeah, you don't right. do it well, it'll come back and bite you. And yeah. then there's a lot of things I don't do. So... Um, I, I, I don't reflect a great deal. 
Right. What What are you crap at? What have you done that you're like, nah, this isn't for me? Yeah, sure. Oh, I can't think of anything. <laughs> I, I, you mentioned it before we started. Like, I tend to focus on, I focus on the things A couple that I, I want to do. Yeah, and, right. um, I actually love being crap at well, the favourite thing. My consistently, my favourite thing has always been learning. So um, when I was a, I was a swimmer when I was a kid, and then a cyclist. And you, you when you do something for ten years, uh, you become very good at it, and the joy of being uh, a novice in it goes away. And it's uh, it's fantastic to start uh, from from fresh and to learn things. So yeah. I've had lots of hobbies, but uh, yeah, I, I like learning, but getting the chance to begin from scratch is, is always a bit of a pleasure and a privilege but I, yeah I don't, I'm crap at a lot of things but I, I don't do a lot in my life probably looks a bit boring I know yeah it's, no, it's funny that you should frame it that way because I, I, like, f- from my perspective I'd, I'd disagree it's like I hate being in the, the, the learning phase and I like like getting through that phase to the point where you can do something okay yeah I, I think if you keep pushing you're always learning mm. which I, I, I don't I've always enjoyed pushing further, I guess, because yeah. you learn more. So you're in the Isle of Wight. Skiing. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm crap at skiing. But I yeah. bet if you decided to do it well, you could end up doing it well. But No, I'm never – my wife is an amazing skier, and um, she's, we've tried three or four times now, and I'll let that one go. Yeah, right. Yeah, there you right. go. <laughs> so you go to boarding school at the age – intermediate age, I think we call it here yeah, in New Zealand, 11, like 11? 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that always the plan to go to boarding school? The reason I ask it, here in New Zealand it's um, – uh, me and my brother when we were growing up it was like sort of hung over our head like if we're being naughty or yeah, getting yeah. detention at school it's like you keep that up you'll go to boarding school so it was like a punishment yeah it probably was yeah no I uh, or was it always in the plan that I you was were... when I was a, a, a kid so growing up on the Isle of Wight um, is a pretty small community and I was uh, I was a swimmer and there's a school in the UK which is probably uh, it's a sports academy called Millfield and it gave me a chance to, uh, you know, be looked after with education and, and, as I said to you earlier on, pretty dyslexic. And then they had an amazing swimming team. So that was a chance to just focus on the things that at that time were, were important. It was, a, it was a privilege. But, yeah, a, a bit of it would be um, kicked out of the house. And <laughs> really? Well, like, what, what did you do? I can't imagine. You've got to be a time when just that, sending your kids off to boarding school is pretty appealing, and I'm sure that was part of the calculation. But, um, right. can, can, <laughs> could, could you think of any like incidents or reasons that your parents would have been like, right, that is a, we've got to ship him off? There's probably a few. <laughs> They'll come back. I've probably repressed them fair enough. But no, I, I think I tried my best. I think I was okay. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but boarding school was an experience. Some people completely thrive in that environment yeah. and just love it, and then they vow to send their own sons if they have them to boarding school. And then there's others that just are miserable the entire time and have have nothing but you like, know done well. You've got all your mates there, you've got fantastic facilities, and you just get to focus on what you love. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I remember it really fondly for that. And obviously, homesickness and other things are, are difficult. Yeah. But you know, I, I was at a school with about twelve hundred other pupils and um fantastic friends and and, and opportunities but uh yes super homesick at times but yeah. um that's good i'm sure well, the time will come when i want to ask a question if you kick your son off to boarding school but um <laughs> difficult not not on the cards at the moment yeah and what was the um the culture like at the time was it a, like a, a, a bullying culture or a prank culture yeah it was interesting when i was there some of the older kids that culture was there 
and I'd, I'd say it'd been like you get hazing in other terms it, it's a crap culture and it I'd say it stopped while I, I was there but mm. when we started off there was all of all of that when you you the first year going and it, it's just BS and like we, the seniors on the juniors or yeah and it's some sort of stupid tradition you know and um I was never a part of that and I think that probably stopped completely while I was there but, right, uh, right. You, you, yeah silly, silly how, stuff. How, how did you manage to avoid it Oh no, I went through it oh, when right. I went there. I just never do it to someone else. Right. You never did it to anyone else, but it was still going on in your yeah. year, and you just had the moral. Oh, when when we got to seniors, none of us were doing it to to younger kids. You know, it stopped. But you went through a bit. Of, I think it was pretty good. But um, I was on the swimming team, and I, the boarding house I was in was mostly swimmers. And luckily, we sort of stuck together. So right. I think they they stood up for us a bit. Yeah. But. Can you remember what your hazing entailed? No. It's not a cool thing. We we did a lot of good pranks. That was one fun thing about being at boarding school. Me and a few other guys flipped a, a guy's room in about half an hour, turned all the furniture upside down and glue it to the floor. Um, another guy before one of the holidays, we uh, we watered the carpet and planted cress. <laughs> and... Uh, the cleaner or someone opened it up three or four weeks later and there was a lawn inside his room. <laughs> That's a slow burning prank, yeah, but yeah. it's a good one. That was no, the but there's lots of fun like that, but no, it was, it was, uh, it's all good. Yeah. That's cool. And why swimming? Swimming. I, I've uh, never been a swimmer myself. I've always been a runner, but swimming seems like for every insert name here, Michael Phelps, uh, Ian Thorpe, there's thousands of kids every morning that are going to the pool with their parents at 5am and going back to the pool in the afternoon. Feels like it's a lot of work, a lot of training, a lot of discipline for the very, very slim chance of making it big. A few things on that. So when, as I said earlier on, when I was a kid, I was really dyslexic. Um, and my, I think at the point when uh, my parents were not quite sure what to do, and, and the stories are, I've, I've heard about it are pretty bad. My parents got told by someone who was helping me that one thing that had been shown to be helpful is to get kids into a sport where they can um, have their own space and have a chance to practice, I think, something physical that doesn't okay. involve learning. And so I, I got put into swimming um, at a young age. I, I started swimming when I was probably three. I was squad, squad swimming probably about four and a half or five. What does that mean exactly? Squad swimming is not swimming lessons. You turn up and you do an hour and a half, two hours, and it would be four and a half to six k in the pool. You're joking at, at, at preschool age. age. I remember doing swimming lessons and, and my dad asking the instructor to let me up a level because otherwise you're learning to swim for years. And um, <laughs> a friend of ours who was actually my midwife, um, I was learning to swim in a class with just really young kids, and dad had taken me swimming a few times with him and he knew that I could swim I don't know a thousand meters fifteen hundred meters as a kid so he told the instructor look this kid actually can swim we need to stop with these he needs to go up to a squad and so he took me down to the pool one day and like a Saturday and I swam some big fifteen hundred meters and then afterwards he took me around to our friend's house and said oh Mike and I've just been down to the pool and I made him swim fifteen hundred meters and Rosie, I remember Paul saying that she looked at him and thought it was some sort of child abuse. And <laughs> everything, everyone thought it was ridiculous. And yeah. then I ended up going to a squad and you just straight off the bat, you do three or four K and no one thinks a big deal of it. But um, 
swimming meant a lot for me because it gave me a chance to focus on something uh, which I think later in life I've discovered that sort of myopic focus on things and I got to sort of meditate for two, four hours a day on swimming Mm. and um, you know like many sports the skill goes as deep as you want you you can never perfect it Mm. and um, I did that for um, 12 years maybe this may be just your answer for this rather than speaking collectively for every swim, every person that's ever swam in a pool. But as someone that's not a swimmer, yeah. as a distance runner, I can go out and my mind can wander and I can think about a, a, different, a million oh, different yeah. problems. When you're swimming, can, does your mind wander? Or do oh, you have 100%. To, yeah. yeah, I was talking to someone about this uh, last week. So you can get completely lost in it. And um, when I used to swim, I got... To answer your question, yes, and um, when I learned how to swim... I was lucky. My father and then a couple of the early coaches I had were technicians. They really focused on how to swim properly. And I used to practice that every stroke. And um, I didn't realize that other kids didn't do that. You know, people jump in and thrash up and down. Mm. And then a few times a session or a few times a week, they'll work on, on technique. And every time my hand went in the water in front of my face, you'd watch the catch, you'd watch the shape of it, you'd have a feel for it. I used to do that every single uh, stroke and you would just it would completely fixate on it and you can wake up half an hour later and realise that you've just been thinking about that and you swum 1,500 metres. And I've, I've done some really boring swim sets that would be... Swimming can be really boring. What? Um, <laughs> I'd, like, we did stuff like 5 by 800 or 5 by 1,000, which is horrendous. You realise the coach has just given up in the office beforehand, <laughs> written down the simplest thing. But you, you can do something for 15 minutes and you remember the first 30 seconds and you remember touching the wall yeah. at the end of it just like running. I used to do it in cycling as well, which is probably a bit scarier. I used to get that in time trialling. you get because time trialing sucks like swimming hard but an hour time trial is just as yeah you're in you're in pain from the outside yeah and it's you? as painful as you can make it and, and it's a sad thing about it and the better you get the better you are at being right on the limit and that every second sucks yeah and you used to get to the point where you couldn't remember anything that happened in the race you just remember that you got here but um no i think you can always do that maybe that's trying to sort of black out i think so it's yeah. the best feeling yeah, so you're at, say, secondary school age, as we call it here in New Zealand. Yeah. What sort of swimming are you doing at that stage? Is it like two sessions a day? We would do uh, probably seven seven to nine sessions a week. So some days would be double, so like double Monday, double Tuesday, Wednesday afternoon, double Thursday, and a Friday and a Saturday. Yeah, I, They weren't very smart with their training, and I, I think <laughs> swimmers do too much. It's a lot lot of work. They do a lot of volume. And I I think when you see young swimmers, they're always, um, they look a bit stressed and too skinny. Mm. But um, that's just the culture of it. So did you have any natural talent or were you just a bloody hard worker? No, I was really good at swimming. Were you? Yeah. Yeah. But again, I only focused on um, uh, freestyle in the end. And I managed to always get it with my coaches that I just do freestyle. And um, no, I was really good at that. Right technique. I was all right at speed, but I was a tall kid. Right, and you you can't get a lot of muscle yeah. as a tall fourteen year old. But no, I was, I was pretty fortunate uh, to be good at that. You gave it up because you ended up with a shoulder injury. Like, an, is that an overuse thing or what? Yeah, uh, one day we had a uh, a big session that was uh, for butterfly, which I didn't normally swim, and it would have been like three or four k of fly 
and fly drills and that was the end of my shoulders and um yeah wasn't very smart but um it was an impingement so it's just right over the top and um that never came back I, i'm sure i could have fixed it but no, that immediately destroyed my swimming career right and um both shoulders and i tried for like a year and i got to the point where i could maybe get 10 minutes without pain and then it just came back and when it came back it was like that for a month and um i was fortunate i had a really good a couple of really good teachers at school who were into rowing indoor rowing which is a huge sport but everyone thinks it's a weird sport but I, uh, indoor rowing on a rowing machine yeah. oh, right right yeah it's a, hu- it's a huge sport yes yeah, it's, it's a weird sport so but there's um <laughs> it's like having a running race on a treadmill like yeah, it is and it, it but it's it's hugely competitive so i uh i buddied up with a couple of my uh the teachers at school and we used to go and do that and i ended up we did i did uk nationals i'm guessing i was like eighth in the uk indoor or ninth or something and then uh, I went to Europeans, and that was cool. But the school wasn't near any lakes. And at the same time, I discovered cycling and realized how cool that was, that you can just get mm. on a bike and go somewhere. Yeah, yeah. After, after years and years of spending hours just looking at that black line on the pool yeah, yeah. for hours on end, day after day, week after week, month after month, yeah, the freedom of um, yeah, being amazing. out in the open on a bike, it must have been like nothing else. It was incredible. And I, um, I, I started one summer holiday when I was a kid. So I was, I was at school, I came home, and uh, my father didn't... School holidays are a waste of time. And uh, What do you mean? In his... Well, you should be doing something. Oh, your dad's words. And I, I, <laughs> you, you know, and I, I kind of agree, but he was lucky. We had a chap on the Isle of Wight called Roger Prowse who would have been in his 60s and he was he'd like 10 times in a row national and world champion for rowing indoors and so I used to go and row with Roger in the evenings and then in the morning it, I think it was like 6.30 I'd be on the bike and I'd get an hour and a half in cycling on the road and that was a schedule and I kind of loved being on the bike you know you at that time I was new to it and you're sun's coming up on some country road and the birds are starting to sing and you're by yourself and it's just fantastic i i loved it and i i got a chance to discover cycling uh that way and then i went back to boarding school and i was the only cyclist oh so they didn't have a cycle team no there was you were um, the best cyclist in the school by immediately (laughs) but immediately and there was one teacher called uh, mick day who my assistant house parent rob said you need to meet Mick or Mr. Day he loves cycling and I used to go and hang out with him and we became really good mates and he would take me out bike riding once or twice a week on Saturday or Sunday morning I'd go for a bike ride with him and he was just one of the best teachers I ever had it's so cool he thought I was pretty good at it and he he's he never raced he just loved cycling and he really passionate the sort of people that really build a sport you know loved it and he heard that british cycling had a talent program where they would come around to schools and do a series of uh, bike tests on kids and if you achieve certain numbers they take you onto a development squad and he signed the school up for that and uh, it was me and one other girl from the school and then about six other people from the local area were hosted at the school and we went through these tests and I was fortunate to pass that and then went on to national selection for that and then I was on that they called that the talent team and I was on that for probably a year year and a half they focused on the track 
which I wasn't very good at. And it was like a, a velodrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you've got to be really good at bike skills for that. And I'd only just started riding. And when you go up against kids that have been riding on the track since they're five years old, it's a bit much to take in. Um, but it looks, by the way, yeah. My, my only experience with velodrome is watching yeah. it on the Commonwealth Games and the Olympics. Yeah. And when you see a wipeout, it looks harrowing. Yeah, and you, you end up when you end up in a bunch at a forty-five degree angle with sixty people, no brakes, and everyone's <sighs> not only trying to just ride the bike and be tactical, but sprint as fast as they can. You can't. There's, if you've got any doubt in that, you've lost, mm. and then it's terrifying. Yeah. And so I got into road racing. I left school a year early for that. But at the time I went to school, I was the only cyclist. I went to my swim coach and said, look, I, I'm done with swimming. I want to do cycling. And I, I, he was happy with that. But I had to get signed off from the swim team to go cycling. And I, I went to our head of sport and he said, well, we don't have a cycling team. <laughs> so why would, I, why would we? It was an old boy and he was grumpy. And I said, well, that's kind of the school's problem, not mine, but I want to go cycling and I've got a bike. Why can't I? And he said, well, show me you're not shit at it. <laughs> How do I know you're not, you know, you're any good? And yeah. I went back to my dorm and I came back with a letter from British Cycling saying, you know, I'm on, the, on this team. And he said, all right, you're a cyclist. Mm. And he never asked me any questions. And after school, I used to get on my bike and I'd ride, you know, um, 50 to 80 or 100k and I'd never tell anyone where I, no one ever asked where I was going and in hindsight I'd, I'm sure it doesn't work like that anymore what, oh you mean like the school they, yeah, so, you, so you'd be gone for say four hours no one would know where I was right no one cared <laughs> and in a world of I'm sure of safety as yeah, it is yeah, now yeah. that's not okay but I remember we were in school in uh, Somerset and the nearest city was uh, Bristol which was a proper drive away and when I was 15 or so, I got back from a bike ride and the wife that ran the boarding house said, oh, where have you been? And I said, I've been to Bristol. And she couldn't believe that. And I could see her do the maths that that's probably not okay that we've just let a 15-year-old <laughs> ride a bike to Bristol. But I'm pretty sure she just didn't... She just passed on it but it's um, one of those things I'm, i i don't want to write an incident report i'm going to pretend i didn't hear that yeah uh, that would have been like 100 probably 160 180 k but um <laughs> yeah it's good though how good and why, why did you get into time trialing time trialing seems awful time trialing for anyone that doesn't know it's a varying distance what's the average distance of a time trial we, right? we do two in the uk which was uh 10 mile and 25 miles so 16k right. and 40k right yeah. and it's basically just go as go as hard as what you can for yeah the, that. So I'm guessing the 40k, like under just under an hour. Yeah. So I, uh, the best I got is very course dependent, and, okay. and in time trialing there are fast courses and slow courses. But I, I got to about I think I was fourth in the UK, once or twice for my age. But um, I think the best I ever did for that was about 50 minutes or 51 minutes on a on a normal fast course. I think people can relate to that. 51 to 52 minutes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's basically the same speed as what a car goes around the city. That's the like fun 50 thing. 50 k's an hour. Yeah, a, a, a crap motorbike, a scooter. Yeah, and you've got to do it on your own. You're not sitting on someone's wheel or driving. It's pretty, it's pretty fun when you're down in that tuck position and you've got all the kit on and you're doing, you do 52, 50, 52, 54 k on the flat and then down the hill you'd be doing 80, 90, 100 k. And it, it's, it's pretty cool. 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. I was never good at racing, I was good at training. To do, to do a sport like that, um, not cycling, but like ti- time trialing specifically, is there like an element of self-loathing there or something? Like a self-hatred? Like you, you need to, this ability this, to, to, to put yourself in, in pain and stay there and basically torture yourself for the duration of the ride. That's it, it isn't it? It's an awesome feeling though. Is it? You, yeah. just, you just get like, like the feeling of it. Yeah. When you, when you finish or during. I uh, kind of love the whole, you know, when you're on it and you know you, it's going well. It's awesome, and I uh, I used to love work, so I could out train anyone. It was the, the racing that was more of an issue, but um, time trialing's just fun, but really hard. And uh, the second it's not hard, you need to try harder. Right. But um, it's a good feeling, though. I think it's any athlete loves being in the zone, and it's kind of it's kind of that. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned before you, the tra- training was good, racing not so good. Did you just get? Was it nerves? What was it? I never actually, looking back at it, I just never actually figured out how to race. In that you need to be really aggressive, opportunistic, and you're there to win and take every chance. And, and, and no one cares if you don't win. You know, no one remembers who's come fourth yeah. or third. And the difference between being fifth or not finishing at the end of the day, not a lot. And I just, I never gave it, gave it a go. And I always... Um, I kind of always felt it was a bigger deal than it really was. Like when I've been an adult and older and I go back to bike races and I look in at uh, an equivalent level in New Zealand, I've turned up to a couple of those races when you're looking at 16, 17-year-old and you look at it and you think, no one cares, just give it a go. Mm. And at the time, you just kind of feel like the weight of the world's on your shoulders and you can't Mm. get it wrong. But in hindsight, I just never really gave it a go. Yeah. Yeah. What was your worst accident? Yeah, I... The, the biggest injury I ever had, I broke a collarbone. Um, we were racing at the... Uh, it was actually on the track that Top Gear do their testing on. It was a three-day stage race, and I, we were going around a corner at about 70k an hour, and I just dozed off for a second and overlapped a wheel in front and went drove myself straight into the deck. <sighs> but I, I broke a collarbone, but I, I was pretty lucky. I've, I've almost had... I've probably almost killed myself three or four times, and you learn from those... <laughs> pretty i've done some well, they do say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger uh, yeah i remember in spain because it's fun going fast on a bike yeah and then you figure out how to go quite fast i remember in south of spain i was down there training on a on a kind of a motorway that you can ride on the shoulder of a big road and we're going really really fast probably like 90 or 90 odd which is speed's always relative to the road right mm, if, if it's of a, course if it's a runway it's not a big deal but i remember going into a corner really fast and then the corner was twice as long as i realized and i was exiting the corner about midway through it and i realized that's not good and just as i'm figuring that out a, uh, a huge uh, bus comes the other way and i remember i looked at the driver the driver looked at me and i'm looking at the a pillar of a bus thinking like that's definitely where i'm going to be in quarter of a second <laughs> and um he went wide and i just i don't know how you can always find a bit more grip 
yeah. and I've had that one a few times. But um, you, you learn pretty quick, and it's yeah. funny when you get older or more experienced, you kind of give up on descending. Like you can go really fast on a race, but if if you go really fast on every downhill, um, luck will catch up. Yeah, with it's you only enough. a matter of time. Fun though. S- sport for me is. Um, sport and movement it's one of the pillars of my uh, sort of like mental health like I, yeah. I, I I need it if I don't exercise for a couple of days I feel antsy I feel ready I'm not good to be around does, does that change when it's when you're doing high performance sport that's, that's endorphins yeah I, th- I think I, there's a lot in to unpack in that but I think yeah. having a fantastic training session for hours and the endorphins that come with that is a, is a, is a pretty powerful mm. experience to no longer have but I, I think when I am um, I, I stopped cycling because I um, I was in San Diego. I was trying to cut weight before the season. One of the best ways of figuring out your body fat, i.e. when to stop losing weight, is to get a DEXA scan. And so I went privately booked into a DEXA scan. I told him, I'm an, I'm an athlete. I want to figure out what my body fat is and composition. And he came out and said, have you ever had a DEXA scan before? And I said, no. And he's not a doctor. He's just running the machine. He said, your bone density's not good. And I, I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll remember that. And he said, no, it's actually not very good at all. And he's I'm like, how bad? Give me a scale. And he's like, we've actually got a scale on the DEXA scan. That's <laughs> what it is. And he's like, you're about a 60 to 70-year-old female in terms of bone density. And I thought, that's probably not, not great. Not for a dude in his early 20s. Nah, and I... But then uh, I'd, I'd happened to hear that uh, low bone density can be an issue in cycling. And it's because when you do chronic endurance training loads and you have no impact in like running, you're constantly giving your uh, skeletal system a jarring, which puts on muscle, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, um, stimulates bone growth. You don't have that in cycling. Yeah. And then you constantly got quite an acid body from, from so much aerobic exercise and it pulls the calcium out of your bones, if I remember correctly. So it's quite common. And I was like 23, I wasn't really making it where I wanted to be as a cyclist because you kind of need to be a rock star by the time you're 22, 23. Oh, so if it's not going to happen by then, it's... I, I didn't want to be the 30-year-old cyclist that's still giving it a go. It, it would be more fun to have made it or, or right. my decision not. And I just decided the problem was if you keep training with that, you'll never let your body recover and it gets worse. And so I just decided that I'd move on. But I um, that was pretty wrenching. I suppose it's like what identifies you and was a big part of your life. And I think that's the issue. So that you are, so if you ask someone, if you ask an athlete what they do, they'll tell you that they are a cyclist. But it's not who they are, it's just mm. what they do. But mm. the problem is I think most people are fully wrapped up in that identity and then you just kind of come off the end of that when they stop. And I, I, I struggled with that a lot, but... Um, I think the issue with with that sport is that if you're not a, if you're not in it anymore, you're out, and I think you lose a lot. And I think I, I don't know how that could be better, but it's definitely tough. I remember going to bed one night crying, pretty upset that I probably you know ten years, eight years of cycling, and that was it. So how old were you? Like early twenties? I would have been like twenty two. Yeah, not but like really upset. You kind of on. I I knew that that was it, but you're never quite sure, and you're about to bin a shitload. Like when when you stop training like that, there's, there's no real transferable skill for that. It just goes in the in the bin. And I went for a bike ride the next day, and none of the motivation was there. And I kept trying to enjoy the bike ride, and it it was gut wrenching and crap, and um, it kind of sad. And like I didn't get to enjoy that last bike ride because you realise like that's there's no point in it anymore. And I think I 
had no interest in riding a bike for maybe six years and I tried a few times and I remember you get on the bike look at your handlebars as you go down the road and think ah, I've, I've done this so many times there's no fun in it and I uh, maybe like two years ago or a year and a half two years ago I got back on a bike and um, it was just fantastic and I'm crap on a bike now compared to where I was and I, I called up my old coach uh, last year and um, he asked me how I was doing I hadn't spoken to him for years and I, it was just fantastic to be on the bike again and I, I had to like really let go for a long time to get that back and people could do much better than me but for me I, I just the love of it completely there's no purpose in it right it took me a while. now I just love going out on the bike right I, I suck at it and it's fantastic like when I was a kid summer morning and it's all good again but um, what, what do you mean you suck at it you you you, you, um, you ride your bike to and from how many, how many k's would you do on an average week you, I you ride your bike to and from I, I used to when I have a bit more time I ride from Cambridge to, to Hamilton and back every well, some days and that's um, Is that 30 k's each way 40 ish I think 40 each way it's a big hour, ride hour so and a half or so so when you say you suck at it like that seems to be um, a very functional bike ride. It's good exercise. You get the endorphins and but transportation. Are, I, you, are you looking at the speedo? Or no, I, I just it's nice to sit on a bike and just enjoy the process. Yeah, and my power. I don't check power. Don't I? All of my metrics would be crap, and I just don't care. Right. I just like being on a bike. And um, but you even said to yourself yourself just before that you suck at it now. But most uh, most people listening to this would be like, shit, this guy's riding, you know, 40 Ks, two work and 40 uh, Yeah, I, no, but that's not cycling. You, you, <laughs> but it, it, it's just good to... Is it exhausting being you sometimes? Isn't it, that's one of the... You remember I meant, mentioned earlier on, it's just, it's nice to just no pressure yeah. and just enjoy something. Yeah, and, um, yeah. It took me years to just not care at all and enjoy it. But I think I'm... I feel like deep down there's still a bit of you that cares. Nah. I'm not good in the middle. It's either it's it's full on or it's it's not. A lot. Yeah, right. I'd love to be good, but I, yeah, no. Nah. Yeah. Um. So, and all your sporting stuff before you sort of close that chapter of your life and you say early to mid twenties, would that have been like the the lowest point? Obviously, there were lot lots of highs. Was that the lowest point though? Being told about your bone density. Growing up's hard, and being in a competitive sport is hard. Mm. And I that I think taught me to be pretty tough. That there was a bit of soul searching because I, I, no one told me what to do. I had no idea what to do with that. And you, after that, and you, you look at kids that go to school, and you just progress up through school, and then you progress to university, and then you go and get a job. And there's a bit of a pathway there. But when you stop sport, you've got to make a conscious decision on what you're going to do. And I, uh, I, I was lost for maybe a few months. Yeah, there was some. That was a bit tough in there, but. Um, got myself out of that and mm. um i i just have to have something that i focus i get to sink my teeth into so yeah. um it wasn't long after that that we had the idea for radix yeah well i suppose you had like time and e- energy to focus your um your it, attention it was elsewhere. difficult for a while yeah like i what athletes go through um i've never really been in that situation i guess outside of that but you've just got to you just got to be busy at something mm. and it's got to have meaning obviously but i i think quitting something being in a bad place and then staying at home and not knowing what to do with yourself is a vicious cycle that you people have got to get out of and then yeah, wallowing out. yeah it might feel like the right thing to do but it's uh, well if people and people get trapped in it and need a hand as well yeah. right it's um it's not easy but i was i was kind of fortunate there how's your mental health been over the years is it mostly good 
I think so. I've I've only ever done stuff for me that's quite uh, quite hard. I guess mm. there's a lot of pressure. Yeah, self-imposed um, or like put on you by your, your dad or family. Uh, I don't. You can only really, you know, at one level, it can only really be self-imposed, right? Mm. I think you're you're kind of often the gatekeeper to how you want to feel mm. about that. But no, I would have been internal and external, but. Um, Things, but I've definitely struggled mm. with it. But um, not giving up is only really important when something when it really sucks, right? Mm. When if you give up when it's easy, it doesn't really count. Yeah. So I've often just tried to uh, you just carry on. But it gets so, so that, that feels like a British thing, eh? The stiff upper lip thing. Just uh, you don't have a choice, though, right? Yeah. Like if yeah. you find yourself in a really difficult situation, you don't want to stay there. You just mm. keep moving forwards. But I'm, I wouldn't say I'm particularly great at it, but. Starting Radix and, and other things is um, is like really hard, hmm. and and so you just I, I think you get tougher at it. But I wouldn't say I'm particularly good at it. But as I said earlier on, it kind of life beats it into you. Yeah. And what's what's your inner voice like? Are you you're mostly quite nice to yourself. You're quite kind to yourself. I don't know. You're flogging yourself. Probably, I, I, it, I you got it. I uh, one thing I used to like about cycling is that there's nothing easier than doing a shitload of work and what nothing easier than doing a shitload of well, work well you could just go and do a six hour ride something incredibly hard and you just feel like you've done it at the end of the day and I used to love that feeling and I, I, I come I'm at a loss when stuff's easy and I've got nothing to do my mind wanders and I feel mm. like I don't have purpose and you could just go and do an enormous workout and you've you've had meaning to your day and you've done a mm. great job and I <laughs> I don't do well if I've not got something yeah. that's full on that you've sunk your teeth into. So, like on Sundays, I always get a bit lost. You know, <laughs> can, can I can I theorise that? I reckon, yeah. I reckon it's you need to exhaust yourself to help you sleep at night because otherwise your mind's just pinging around with yeah. ideas. No, it's a fun one. I, 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 but no one you ask about mental health, and I, it's yeah. a kind of a new one to me. But when I was growing up, no one ever discussed that. Mm. So I think it's a recent thing, but it's a good conversation well, to have. It's very, very much a recent thing. I'm, I'm quite a bit older than you. I'm 50, and it was never even discussed. And it was like, um, I don't know, like it's got a label now, but I think that's a, it's a good thing, and it's a good thing to be aware of it and um, yeah, work out. I think everyone needs like a like a resilience plan or a mental health plan. You need to work out what's what's right for you and what's not right for you. The resilience terms are good. I, one thing I've always focused on is that you, you can acknowledge something's difficult but you need to have the tools to get yourself through it. Mm. And I, I, that's something I've always focused on a lot. Like I have a lot of methods that I get through something like that. So we are talking earlier on, if everything gets really, really difficult, I'll get a pen and paper and I'll write until I'm clear on what I'm doing. And right. that, like and, you, like you, you might, formerly you could call it journaling, I guess. Yeah, I get, but I will, I will get clear on my thoughts and, mm. and, and sketch until I've got some answers and I, I've done that since I was probably 14 and I discovered that because I just bumped into it, no one right. taught me that but uh, I'd, I'd have heaps of things like that, I'm you- constantly constantly refocusing constantly tidying up constantly simplifying what I'm like it just that process stops me from getting overwhelmed for example so, right like how much how much are we talking like uh, if you had to put a word count on it on what oh writing you, yeah oh like pages and pages or? no 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 no. or a couple of sentences five, yeah sentences bullet okay. points right yeah as much as it takes 
but yeah. you just got to find a thread to get back onto the right. onto the path, you know. Right. But maybe there's a tool, but I, I think it's good to acknowledge when people struggle. But I think it's important also to help people find the tools to get past it. Yeah. So transitioning out of uh, competitive sport, cycling was your last thing and into business. Did you find with business that satisfies that competitive itch for you? Or is it, a, I feel like, like business, you know, you have, you have wins, you have good days, you have bad like days. One, so with Radix, we have a problem that we're trying to solve, I, I think, for the world or for us. For, and um, I've never actually seen Radix as, I'm very kind of goal or mission oriented. So you have to make money because it enables you to, to build a team, build a better product. Mm. And, and if you're solving a real problem um, in the world, then to do it at a larger scale. But I don't really care about that. It's always been about uh, solving a problem or, or, or chasing a... Mm. I, I mean, I love problem solving. So for me, Radix, nutrition in the world is, is not in a good spot. And the mm. food industry, as we mentioned earlier on, on the whole, I think is uh, quite evil. Um, and it caused a lot of the health issues that we're starting to become aware of. And it's good that people are trying to fix that now. But there's a lot of the solutions out there aren't very genuine or mm-hmm. very deep. And I think someone needs to fix that. So we're having a crack at that. But yeah. I've always chased that goal. And do you get the um, the same sort of thrill at, like when something good happens, like when you here at Radix when you form a partnership with Fonterra say like, yeah. do you get the same sort of thrill out of that like doing a really good time trial or a, a really good swim yeah, it's amazing We some of our best stuff you, you know it's cool when everyone we've been lucky to have a team that really excited and we've uh, we've discovered things or had breakthroughs or done something where people will just work all night on it Mm. and it's just awesome no one looks at the clock no one wants to be anywhere else and that seven days a week we have a cool breakthrough or an idea and that's always really exciting and it's it's also fantastic when you see other people excited at it protein for example and that uh using that dias frame or, or, or uh, metric mm. that project was just a massive deep dive by a small team of people for a couple of weeks and it was hugely exciting yeah yeah it's a rewarding journey well, now's probably a good time to transition to some of the business stuff. So um, at the time of recording this, it's like the, uh, the, the 10-year anniversary of Radix. Of the idea. Yeah, 10 years ago you started this business. Tell us about those humble beginnings. So just you and a mate and a, just a little dehumidifier? Yeah, we started out just with an idea that I uh, – a very uh, basic view on what we could do. But we started out, three of us, my father, myself, and a uh, former uh, schoolmate – not no idea on the industry which kind of helps and hinders but if a lot of what the industry is doing isn't the right solution then you get to begin just as fairly as anyone else does mm. but we began at scratch and we were in russell in a garage testing an idea no clue at all reading studying phoning people up meeting people and we were in in russell in a garage progressed to a barn and then we stole an empty house for a while i had a big kitchen one what do you mean you stole it? Well, no, no, no. I'm sort of imagining like an abandoned rental or something. Exactly <laughs> that. <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah, and when, when you – so our, our product, uh, when you freeze-dry it, it's very dry, and then it's very, very sensitive to uh, moisture in the air. And um, I had to tape up every window seam, every crack in the whole house with masking tape and dehumidify it. And, um, yeah, it was fun. Mad, stupid. And then – but you, you get you, – get a start 
and then uh, we went from Russell where we were for probably a year to um, an empty industrial unit in Waiuku where we were probably for three years you know it sounds like a really long time but you learn so much it's mm. unbelievable so, and, so, uh, you went, so when you started yeah. when you started in Russell um, from the humble beginnings with your mate and your dad and then you're in a rental house like what were your what were your plan did you have like a, a 10 year plan then like could you see yourself being sitting yeah. where we are now yeah. yeah really yeah so I um, was tidying up some when doing some planning recently or, or sharpening some planning up and I deleted some, some old files the bones of it, the main bits of what I was writing 10 years ago are the same as what we're still doing now. It's a long road. That's it's kind amazing. Of, yeah. We're sitting in um, Radix Nutrition headquarters now in the Waikato, an impressive factory. Um, yeah. It's just, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's just beautiful from top to bottom. But why bloody Hamilton? Well, we thought when we're in Waiuku, we thought that we should be in Auckland because that's where everyone was. You know, that's where everyone passes through Auckland. We couldn't find any, uh, there's no room to build a factory. The land prices are ridiculously high. The traffic's difficult. And then um, rental's difficult. And, and no one, we'd, we wasted, I, I looked at 18 buildings in Auckland as we sincerely tried to do what was probably impossible, which is to find a, an industrial building, a warehouse in Auckland that we could move into and build a factory. And I met a real estate agent called Jamshid, and he was awesome. And uh, he helped me look at, I think it was 18 buildings in the end. And we were always a bargaining chip that a landlord would, or, or an agency, not him, but the others would use to get two warehouse tenants to pay more. And the reality that we realized, no one wants you to install a factory and rip out floors and cut up car parks <laughs> for a startup that could fail. We were late, tried really hard. It's a pretty cool process, but it was never going to work. Mm -hmm. And uh, someone told us if we went to a Waikato or Hamilton, you can just buy a greenfield site and start from scratch and right. just get it right. And we were slow to figure that out, but it's been awesome. Yeah. And would you, so ten years, ten years on now, would you? How would you describe yourself now? Are you still a startup? Yeah, you've got. Um, there's a few definitions of startup. We grow a lot each year, and we've got a long way yet to go until we get to our goal so um we've no interest in uh staying still you know i would love it if this would be one of the best examples of what new zealand can do on the world stage the global food industry is shit in a lot of areas mm. and someone's got to fix it i'm not from new zealand but the spirit and, and the character that new zealanders have is outstanding and uh i kind of like the fact that we're doing it here yeah, but it, it should be that what we're trying to solve will eventually be solved at a very large scale to give to make a significant impact on the quality of nutrition that everyone faces at the moment. So, your Radix Nutrition, uh, anyone that listens to my podcast, I've been banging on about your, your protein powders and your smoothie yeah. powders, which are amazing. Um, you also do um, like dehydrated, you know, meals. Freeze dried. What's the What's the difference? <sighs> Freeze drying gives a much higher quality product, right? and dehydrating is uh, quite damaging to product right. so it, you, you're just taking moisture out of food at the end of the day but um, freeze drying is about 10 times more expensive and a lot harder if you, were, if you bought a raisin that's all shriveled up that's dehydrated mm. and freeze drying is a different process it will leave stuff looking intact yeah we're not a freeze drying company right. we just yeah. use a freeze dry right yeah people get that mixed up it's the heaviest bit of kit in the factory but it's just one of a few 
So that's where things are at now with Radix Nutrition. Yeah. Where, where, do you, where do you see it in five to ten years? So the problem that we're trying to fix is a fun question. I don't know how to answer that without... It, oh, without it, giving away... No, no, without just looking stupid, but that you... How do you mean? Why would you look stupid? Because your plans are that lofty? You should, if we get this right, it, should, it needs to be a really big company to have the difference that someone should be doing. A so, big company is, and because anyone that's um, watching this on YouTube or online right now will see the factory behind me, and they'll say, "Well, shit, oh, this no, looks no, like no, a this pretty is, big." This is tiny. Okay. Yeah. No. We this, you know, done well. This should be a five hundred plus million revenue company in ten years, and it'd be sad if it's not bigger. To mm-hmm. be honest, because I when. Um, I don't mean that I, I'm not really interested in the revenue, but if you, if you do the maths on on how many people, I gave you that statistic earlier on that one in four globally are pre-diabetic, one in three have pretty suboptimal metabolic health. Pre-diabetic, that means what? It means yeah. pre-diabetes is one of the markers that we we use to uh, try and understand the quality of people's uh, metabolism. Right. So pre-diabetes would mean uh, elevated blood sugar levels over a, a longer period of time, mm. which can have all sorts of knock-on effects. But it basically means that one of one of the significant factors of that is nutrition. It basically means that what people are eating is breaking them, and uh, it's pretty sad. It's not. It's a first-world problem, so it affects everyone. Yeah, and it ends up affecting kids, and 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 parents, and oh, it's it's not a good problem to have and the thing I find uh, pretty frustrating it was the, the reason that we started Radix is that no one's really fixing it so most of industry is pretty happy if people keep digging themselves deeper into that hole mm. and the knowledge exists scientifically the technology exists to make a product and yet no one's really been doing it in a meaningful way to enable someone to fix their diet simply and, and overcome those problems. So that's when I say it's, it's not that our interest in growing Radix to that scale, although it'd be really fun, but it needs to be fixed at that scale. So, right. y- y- you know, th- this would be a tiny factory. And indeed, you look in New Zealand at some food factories and they're enormous because a lot of people eat, but mm. th- this should be... <laughs> well, everyone, I think. It's a big problem. Don't you think, though, even if people... People, people know when they're eating shit food, right? But they, nah. they do it... No, they don't. Like if I go to KFC, uh, no, I, but that, that does that's off the end of the spectrum. How so do you if mean? You, what do you well, if if you, the bit you want to worry about is when people think they're doing the right thing or 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 are trying to do the right thing and struggling. Oh, gotcha. So yeah. if someone's knowingly going to a really unhealthy fast food brand, th- th- you don't get points for that, right? And and you might be forced to do that out of convenience but you're not really in the frame at that point but when you get someone who's gone to a doctor and been told that they're not well and that they need to fix their diet otherwise something nasty could happen or you've got someone that's depressed or sad because of how they look or when when someone needs help in changing or has decided that they want to change and they don't get help i find that quite sad it is at those times that the difference between what someone will start to eat or knows to eat or can eat I, if, through um, practicality is actually a long way away from what we know would be ideal. Right. And, and nutrition science and physiology and everything else that's known in health is really complicated. 
like no one's going to figure that out anytime soon it's not a solvable problem it's immensely complex and yet you just end up at the supermarket you're not sure what to eat or cook and that's kind of bollocks in mm. 2023 that you can have an iPhone or some in, in staggering level of technological sophistication and yet the thing that kills a lot of people no one's actually meaningfully put forward an unbiased genuine solution to that or there aren't many um, and that's what we set out to, to create if that makes sense that makes perfect sense so how would you like Radix to look in like 10 years from now big international brand planning on moving into different sort of things uh, no we've got a lot of other products yeah so 10, 10 years from now we would hope to be pioneering or right at the forefront of personalised nutrition we'd want to be a household name we'd need to be and um, it'd be fun if we're still in New Zealand or Australia and a, and a great company but um, I've always quite liked Tesla if you look at a mission oriented company Tesla, I've heard of that <laughs> solving a real problem I know yeah, they've got yeah. people love them or, or maybe people don't but you, you, you couldn't argue that people there didn't care I think Elon Musk is incredibly polarizing, but I, I think he's a genius myself. And if I see that he's appearing on a podcast, I'll always listen to it. And the, the fact that he's thinking on just a different plane to everyone else. It's, and, uh, and has thousands of other people solving yeah, those same problems. Yeah. It's pretty cool. But we should be a really big company yeah. by then, done well. That's brilliant. Well, I, I wouldn't put it past you. Like 10 years ago in a garage, yeah. and now, you, now we're sitting here in this magnificent warehouse, and also just seeing how how you live and how you drive yourself and how you apply yourself and your tunnel vision I think wherever you see yourself being in 10 years that's exactly where you will be yeah well it's a good journey mm. now one thing I need to bring up with you you've, you've become a dad recently congratulations by Thank the way you, yeah. you're, you've got a son 12 months old yeah happy meals are going to be part of your <laughs> your, happy, your happy life happy meals did he say <laughs> happy meals yeah if you're you're a dad of a, a kid he's gonna watch some ads on TV or pre-roll on YouTube or whatever you're um you're gonna have to break and go to McDonald's aren't you Isn't McDonald's gonna become part of your we'll see about that <laughs> <laughs> well I was talking to your wife earlier she said um she may introduce him to chocolate this weekend oh that's okay is that okay yeah no we um <laughs> We'll, we'll do our best for him. Yeah, how are you gonna? How are you gonna get, get around the McDonald's thing? I'm sure it will happen. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do for him. Give him some purpose, and I hope he's an athlete when he grows up. Yeah, yeah. yeah he went to gymnastics for the first time this week, which was pretty cool. At one, I didn't know they did that, but he loved it. I, I think quite basic stuff, but he had a fantastic time. Yeah, but um, how are you going to because you like to think every generation gets slightly better or tweaks or makes improvements how are you going to raise them differently from how your dad raised you or oh, how I was raised and yeah, what, yeah. I, um, looks pretty hard raising a kid <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd be doing pretty well I think if I, if I matched that in hindsight but um, I think sport was great yeah um, one thing I always got from sport that I was I was sorry to see a lot of other people didn't have is the chance to really try hard at something and be a part of a team mm. and to learn how to practice for me was a big deal and I, I think it's sort of mastery or self-mastery or the ability to, to, to chase something you can never catch is, is a big deal mm. and I think I hope he discovers that in something maybe sport maybe art I don't know Yeah, but sports are pretty cool Mm. way of learning these things 
seeing your, your, your dad as a grandfather, how is he different as a grandfather to how he was as a father? I think being grandfathers, he's still getting used to that. No, mum and dad loved it. It's good there. Um, we live in Cambridge and they live in Russell, so there's a bit of a distance. But yeah. It's been an amazing process. Mm. It's pretty cool having a small human in the house. Yeah, yeah. Is it, how's it changed you? Or do you think it's changed you at all? Uh, even less sleep. Um, <laughs> it takes a while to realise that you've got zero free time and that you, you feel pretty guilty if you feel like you're wasting time. But um, it's, it's been an amazing process. Mm. It's kind of cool. I, I guess everyone says that, but you learn a lot about... I've learned a lot about myself when you realise a little bit of introspection. Yeah. But it's... Uh, yeah, what are the biggest learnings, you think, about yourself? I always really... I've focused on having him as happy as possible for various reasons, but I'd love him to have a, a good, happy start to life and yeah. to experience things. And um, we've met some wonderful people, like daycare, which I've, I haven't been around since I was there myself. Mm-hmm. Those guys are amazing. And you discover a part of a, a community, and, and not my own, but in, living in Cambridge now, that's just fantastic of people that devote so much care and attention to yeah. other people's kids. It's amazing to see. And um, as I said earlier, I, I guess I focus a little bit myopic and what I focus on. It's lifted my horizons a little bit, and you see what's around you and appreciate why it's important. And um, that's been pretty cool. Mm. Has there been a something that you've just wanted to do or something that you've had to do in terms of um, you being being present and engaged when you're with, when you're with um, your son I, rather having, than focusing on radic stuff I'm, I'm having to learn that <laughs> but again it's a fun process yeah, but I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not good at that and I'm learning <laughs> yeah but uh, well, that's good I think it'll make you better at, better at running your business in some ways to give I, you a broader pers- perspective I, it's a great teacher yeah yeah and, yeah. and, you, and you and your wife, we, so you've been together since almost as long as Radix. She's been... Yeah, she she's, was... She's, she's German? She's German. She was uh, travelling in New Zealand, you know, work and travel. And I met her in Russell. And um, uh, she was in New Zealand for a few months. And then we had um, a five-year long-distance relationship. So... We'd see each other maybe twice a year, and then that was uh, FaceTime calls morning and evening for like five years. That sounds arduous, but I'm guessing for you, you were like, "Yes, I can focus on building this business and yeah. have a relationship." <laughs> and, he, and he used to be on FaceTime, uh, phone in the factory somewhere, headphones at eleven o'clock at night. I'd be doing something, and she'd be studying at home in Germany, and we'd just be hanging out. But yeah, I, th- I think it probably had to be that way. Looking back at it, because I didn't have a lot of time. But she's incredibly understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, although I pushed that right to the edge almost continuously. But um, <laughs> I, I was um, chatting with her earlier. She seems she works here. She seems as passionate about the business as what you are. Yeah, I, I think I balance that kind of okay. Yeah, probably right on the edge. Would you say was it like love at first sight, or was it a slow burn with each other? She's kind of fantastic. Yeah, so, yeah. So straight away. Yeah, really comfortable around her, happy. Mm. Yeah, you know, she's 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 been great, really supportive. Um, that's been good. And what what about the proposal? You guys got married uh, like only recently, a couple of years ago, like during COVID. I was pretty slow at that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I had all of the hints, everyone pushing, <laughs> but um, I was busy. Uh, <laughs> But I, I, uh, I, I was just not good at any of that. Any of what? Like, but like, 
picking up on the social cues or being romantic? Oh, like or mum brought down uh, her mother's old engagement ring. Right. And said, I put it in your bedside drawer. You should probably hurry up. And then... Was well, it just not a priority with you? You're like, oh, we'll get I, there eventually. I've been, I've been busy and I thought, hey, you know, we're just... We'll get there. But, yeah, um, yeah. No, I, I, I picked up what everyone was putting down and uh, eventually figured that out. And then um, I'm just not that massively inclined into... A, not a romantic? Probably not. Well, how was the proposal? What did you do? You get down on one knee? I did. Yeah. Well, if, if you're not good at it, what else do you do, right? I just... <laughs> um, no, I did the, did the whole lot. But um, I couldn't have anyone there taking pictures and stuff like that. That would have been way too much pressure. But um, What do you mean? In what way? We're surrounded by uh, cameras. Every day. <laughs> no, we, uh, it was... Well, you're just, quite, you're just quite, quite sort of private when it comes to that stuff. I am. Yeah. yeah. But it's the best way, I think. But no, it was good. It, it meant a lot. Happy memory. What was the wedding like? We were between two lockdowns. So yeah. uh, the, we didn't know the wedding would go well. We, we were up at, uh, in Russell. And um, we had a fantastic wedding in New Zealand, which was awesome. Annie's family didn't get to come over, which was pretty tough for her because mm. of travel restrictions. And then, um, oh, was it 11 o'clock at night? It got announced that the next morning, country was going into lockdown. And... Um, <sighs> Yeah, it's a difficult time. We've yeah. got another wedding in Germany later in the year for her family. So it's it's been good, but it's uh, it's kind of cool growing up, going through those experiences. But I'm, I wouldn't say I'm good at it. But it's um, Annie's. Everyone's pretty strong at getting through that, and uh, it happens. Yeah, oh, that's cool. Were you present at the birth? Yeah, I was. Yeah, how was that? Was that a life changing experience? Did it, were you emotional? Were you cry? I don't. I, no, I, 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 it was emotional, but I didn't cry. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I. Uh, it's an amazing process, just completely eye opening. And mm. I, I maybe as clueless as a kid around things like that, but it's um, it's just an incredible process as you go through that. And uh, yeah, life's pretty cool when you when you see how it works. And yeah, that's no, been an amazing experience. But um, no, just hopefully, hopefully it goes well. We'll raise a super baby. Nutrition shouldn't be an issue. <laughs> Is he going to be swimming 1,500 metres by the time he's four? It might happen. <laughs> yeah. But I hope he enjoys it. Amazing. Hey, um, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, Mike Rudlig, CEO and founder of Radix Nutrition. Uh, even though you still describe yourself as a startup, I'd still describe you as a New Zealand success story, I think. Well, we're really proud to be in New Zealand. and It's, um, it's meant a lot being here and it's a fantastic country. Let's um, let's show everyone what we can do. Yeah, I mean, it's exciting to be on this journey with you, and it's exciting to think where you will be in five or ten years from now. Can't wait to see it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks very much for making it all the way through this episode of Runners Only with Dom Harvey, brought to you by, well, that guy there, Mike Rudling, and his company, Radix Nutrition. If you like what you hear and you want to help the podcast grow, the best thing you can do is subscribe or follow or like or whatever it is that you have to do on your preferred podcast app. Then give the show a rating or review. All that feedback helps grow the show. Also, after hearing the Mike Rudling story, if you're keen to learn more about Radix Nutrition and the work that Mike and his team are doing in the Waikato, check them out on Instagram at Radix Nutrition, that's R-A-D-I-X, or online at radixnutrition.co.nz. And please support the legends that support the show. All right, thank you once again so much. Appreciate you. And hope to see you next week on Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Hold up. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.